Salud, you're listening to One Dope Goddess Books and Coffee Podcast. Welcome to the new timeline of 2024. Today is January 4th. It's 10, 10 a.m. Yes, and I have to say, welcome to the Abundance 8th timeline. This is the 8th year timeline, meaning the number 8 means abundance for us all. I have to say, before I start my podcast last year of 2023, I lost three loved ones close to me. First, my cat Rocky on January 1st, 2023. My cousin brother Brendan on October 5th, 2023. Last but never least, the Marioc of my family, Miss my grandmother on December 17th, 2023. I know through all that, I know they are happy and they're in a better place. I just had to bring that out. Coffee I'm drinking today. My old school Castel Braille roast. I haven't drunk that in a minute. The book reading. Egypt's golden couple. When Akhenaten Nefertiti were gods on earth. Authors John Darrell and Corrine Darrell. Let's tap in. Akhenaten has been the subject of rational dif- difference. Even extraordinary biographies the king has achieved fame as the world's first individual and the first minus but others have seen him as the ancestral triant who nearly ruined the kingdom he ruled the gold funerary mass of his son Tanakamion and the planted bust of his wife Nefertiri are the most recognizable artifacts from all ancient Egypt but whose were Akhenaten and Nefertiri and what did actually do we know about rulers who lived more than 3,000 years ago? November 22nd marks the centennial of the discovery of the tomb of Tumnakinya, an author of the King Tut, as a household name. His name, Yeru, pales in comparison to the revolutionary Ryan of his parents, Haknakin and Nefertiti, became gods on earth by transforming Egypt's solar worship, making environments and art urban design, merging religion, politics in ways never attempted before. Combining fascinating scholarship, the suspense of detective work and adventurous thrills of Egypt's golden couple is a journey throughout museums, hieroglyphics, texts, and stunning artifacts. From clues to clues, we are now Egyptianists John and Corrine Darnell reconstruct an otherwise untold story of the magnificent reign of Akhenaten and Nefertiri. Alright, so I'm going to read. Now, this book, I normally read books that are, you know, like, uh, constructions and, and samples, and this is more of a story. So, I'm not going to read everything. This is basically some things. Like, I'm, first thing I'm going to read is a prologue. And then next after that, I'm going to read Lastly, which is not probably like two pages, An Angry Goddess, because obviously, because it says goddess. All right. The prologue. A pale and sickly young man ascends the throne of Egypt. Sheltered by his keen witted and powerful mother, he uses his newfound authority to study an ancient religion, the cult of sun god. His scholarly explorations and temple libraries led him to revolt against Atamri and King of Gods and the deity corrupt priesthood 
the young king is mentally robust as he physically awkward and strangely proportioned. His strong and unyielding will is at odds with the brittle weakness of sparkly limbs. The young ruler quickly perceives how the priesthood, girdled with beauty from the military companions of his progenitors, persistias, now feeds like a bloated parasite off the body of the Egyptian people. Only in his beautiful young wife does the king find consolation and support. Together they create a revolutionary cult of a loving and ununiversal un god who cannot be contained within the orphan animal-headed and stiffy-posed idiots of the old resolution. The royal couple devoted themselves and all Egyptians' resources to the worship of a single god who is everywhere, and yet without physical form, except for the blazing orb of the sun, the young ruler rejoices in the love that his universal soldier diddly presumes upon. Humanity reserving him his ire for the Egypt gods, whose statues and beliefs the king's devoted seedlings attack. The king shows his devotion to his own true father and expression of love for his own family, especially his daughters, guiding on over him over expressing offspring and his singularly gorgeous Kosoroyal. In a few short years, the new pharaoh presides over a kingdom ruled by the peace and the higher calling, a new religion that lifts Egypt out of the annual worshipping superstitious of Yor, where once priests scrolled through the temples to offer a darkened altar, now the royal family presents tables of food and vast, opening courts to the soul of father who, whose light suffuses the whitewashed and ruthless temples of the king's new city. At the center of his royal court of love, basking in the light of the benevolent sky dungeon, whose hands literally caresses the bodies of the royal family, is the world's finest first individual. He is a ruler of such moral strength as dare to challenge the conventions of an already ancient civilization. And a man who profound learning and flights of spiritual anxiety who composes beautiful poetry in honor of his god. A ruler of various sexual absurdities and a transgenerial disposition becomes ruler of Egypt, never as intelligent or accomplished as his siblings. The king has been repped by the neglect of his father and the demanding personality of his mother. As pharaoh, he closed the temples of Egypt, the very lifeblood of country, whose economy de depends on the fields, flocks, and worships associated with the masses' complex. Following the luxurious region of his father, which is an obsessive focus on his own denality, the new ruler plunged Egypt into nearly two decades of darkness and turmoil. The officials of his bureaucracy are loyal to him along in their own rejection glory. They manipulate the mishap who controls Egypt with an iron fist. The king has and his court reveal the delights of the flesh growing themselves on daily boutiques, reclining lotteries and painted chambers, their sense of time all but erased by the unending crystal of the soulful indulgence. The ancestral desire of the king brat, two daughters who were sometimely his granddaughters, one daughter wife dies in childbirth, 
herself barely beyond childhood, but lulled by her father's twisted impulses. The popular Egypt outside of the small group of obscure courtiers have never witnessed a time of so full of misery. Histories of ancient Egypt often begin with the establishment of a single government of, over the Nile Valley and in Manilia, later with the Roman subjunctive. Between King Numpios, unification of Upper and Lower Egypt around 31 BC, and the death of Cleopatra the 6th and 30 BC, now all ruled by the valley of the Nile, which Perseus monarchs, nor did all give full Ryan to personal whelm and desire. The two sketches of rule appeal above, above could well illuminate the extreme point to which the plenum of the Egypt kingship might have swung. Among the portraits of Egypt's rulers and the great gallery of 3,000 years of history, most would probably be fit somewhere between the two described above. Clearing to the faces of Egypt's rulers, we seek evidence for how people, power, and tradition interact. One might even accept a philosophy of the individual rulers themselves. So now I'm going to an angry goddess. Why is she so angry? Let's find out. <clears throat> a group of dozen marines run from a low mud brunt building toward the Nile. An officer racing ahead and urging tumbling a, a couple of the late turning musicians out of the way. Behind them strided forward another group of soldiers half carrying half dragged an enormous length of rope, nearly half a cubit in thickness. The officers in charge, palm rib baiting rolls, shouts, then one of the rapes of the gods burge. A mod mighty of pole has broken, and a replacement is urgently required. Upsetting a few white wine, yelling the contents of one onto an altar, pile high with manner of food, the soldiers rushed on. A trumpeter sounds several shorts and long blasts, transferring the orders of the nearby officer to long lines of soldiers and sailors holding on to massive ropes connected to the gold-painted and jewel-crusted barrage of the guards on Amman, Mont, and Kosun. The two boats assist the boats they are sail against the current. That morning, a complex had taken Amman's beige out of a two-month-third nearly decorated pylon at Lepsalt, then south to meet the block of Koshuan on the complex of Mont to welcome her to the obsession and then off to south. Along the way, the divine boats pass riverbanks thronged with the citizens of the West attired and finest clothes and jewelry. At Lemptus, they docked and the priests begin the nerve wracking and time consuming process of taking from their decks, miniature versions of those very brags. Then the trumpeter advances to meet the line of priests carrying on their shoulders by the portable boats of Amman, Mark, and Koshon, and indeed the king himself. The magician sounds the notes of the royal entry of the king of the gods is coming. The possessions pass the uproots, women leaping and backwards into handstrings before vaulting back into their feet while losing playing magicians accompanying a singing group of clampers, priests, and sojourn juggling persistence. The crowd groups silent after 
another signal from the king's trumpeter, the possessions pause, and all attend to the words of the trumpet chorus. The first song rings out an ancient hymn, part of which was the first song of a millennium earlier. O Amati, Lord of the thrones of the two lands, may you live forever. A drinking place and hew out, the sky is forwarded back into the south. A drinking place and hewed out, the sky is forwarded back to the north. A, excuse me, a chair erupted, drawing out of the final line of the song. This is the sign for the multitude of worshippers to begin imbibing wine and beer until they become an intoxicate that their drinking places resemble heaven itself. After another signing of the trumpet, the possessions near the mud brick outer court of the unfinished temple of Lassu. This time, the chorus turns directly into the block of Anum, moving the close and singing final words of the song. It is Horus, strong of arm, who combines the god with her, the good lady of God, for the king has halted, already done best of good things. At the last line, but not a few couples evoke their numerous conclusion to the song, listen to their own best things with long, long kisses, a numpital, and the role of the powerful Horus will achieve his own profession in Hatha, embodied in the great royal wife Tyra, and its god Amtum unites with the divine consort, Mot. The human worshippers will eat, drink, and make love during the nights of the festival when it's all over Egypt and the entire world is reborn. Such were the sights and sounds of the annual festival called Amtent, the same word as Amtent and the ancient name of Laksa Temple. The walls of the communal hall of Amtent were set records the events of the the multi-day celebrations. This was the way of the several festivals that pronunciate the year for the citizens of the West. Most work stopped. Even the royal tomb builders laid down their tools and the farmers retreated to the luxuries of the wine and beef. Amtunam III and Tai were concerned to be the West during the festival days, taking up residence in a palace adjacent to Kumnak Temple, Absum Talk. If Tyan did the best things for Amtunom III on one of his those nights, then Amon would have had a short commute on his way. The transit the Roy Kai. For the duration of the festival of Amt, Tainal was the only the king or queens, but also the goddess Amtar on earth. Sex and her husband became a scarce act, a mirroring of the marriage. And Amon and Mont, through the cope up, Cooperating months of ritual, Tai and achieved in her lifetime ability that only few queens attained. Tai committed to Nefertiti, a more exalting queenship, although neither women were born members of the direct royal line. The two queens may have been members of the same extended family, a powerful clan from the modern Akamya in the Middle Egypt. Tai's father, Yonkrao, was a Charitable commander and a priest of men. A god associated with fertility made manifest in the deity's large erection parlor. Yara was also a god's father, a title reserved for the close royal adventurers and tutors. The god in question being the living king, Tai's mother, Tudor, served men, leading the god's mystical troops and the directing temple's rituals. 
normally will know nothing about the origins of kings born outside the royal family. But Ty's role as king's wife was so significant that the series of large scribes would curve with the royal names of the Third. The character of Ty and the two sentences identifying her parents, Yara and Tyra, were also given the rare honor of a tomb within the valley of the king. Postponely reposting among the royal family, their daughters had joined. There were resident among undisturbed along this particular discovery of their tomb in 1905. We will now look upon the faces of Thai present, but the written sources were mute about how the daughter of a predominant family from the Middle Egypt became the king's great wife. DNA testings of royal mummies provides a clue that Matua Amnaptumtum III's mother may have been sister of Thai's father, Yanra. Tai was probably educated by her father, Yanta, who served a tutor to the future husband. Abtumnum III, Nefertiti's family connections rest on this some financial evidence, but the same DNA analysis, analysis implies that she could have been the first cousin of her husband. Abtumnum IV, on both had marital and parental size, this would have meant the 11th dynasty pharaohs of three generations from Demont IV and Tumont V, married into the same family from Ampu. Ties and Nefertiti's queenship may have less to do with their presumed physical beauty, but more to do with their int- intellectual and schooling. Both Ty and Nefertiti were captured from the queen to goddess. They were worshipped as deities along with, with their husbands, even do, during their lifetime. For Ty and Ampu III now, is more evident than Tumia, the land south of Egypt during the Egyptian Tizlan. Nubia was an Egyptian province overseen by Egyptian administrators and local priests. The southern land on not only Egypt's chef source of gold, but also a limption of trade routes, as well as arranging many military recruits, not only volunteering for services. By the region of the III, Egypt and Nubia had already engaged over to millennia of economic and culture exchange frequency produ- produced by military conflict. So I'm gonna stop there. Um, I know my reading. I have to be honest. I don't care for my reading voice neither. <laughs> so I'm not even gonna continue to read on. But the book is very good. It just goes based on the history of the couple. Her history and his history. So if you're interested in reading it or getting it or putting it on the shelf for your collection, this is a good read. I also have my book for next month, which I'll be more connected to it because it's about a starseed book. That's only um, a little bit what I'm going to give you. So if you read, if you listen to my podcast this month, I, you know, I don't even mind because I know I fumbled over my words this time and, you know, I didn't expect this to be a story. I expect this to just go into details and, you know, but it is what it is. Thank you for listening. And I guess I hear and see from you from next month. One Dope Goddess out.